Have you ever wondered what goes through the mind of someone who decides to run across an entire country? In this episode of the Difference Maker Podcast, I welcome special guest Colin Harris to the show where he talks about how he took nine months to run across the entire country of Canada. Colin is currently the CEO of organization Take Me Outside where he obsesses over how outdoor education can actually enhance the educational experience for students. In this episode, we talk about everything regarding that, as well as the mental grind and what it took to run across Canada. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Difference Maker Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Calderoni, and today's guest is one who definitely loves the long time or long-term endurance running and and work to be done there. Who's Colin Harris, like I introduced before. Colin, how's it going? Good, Matthew, you? Not too bad. So Colin, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, obviously I was able to do a bit of an intro, but it always sounds better coming from the individual than me. So go for it. Yeah, I mean, I think I had this lifelong dream of wanting to, to run across the country. I think it was inspired by a couple different events. One was just quickly, you know, when I was in junior high, I was living in Winnipeg and the Olympic torch was making its way across the country. And we got let out of school to, to go up and, and see the torch bear and got to run beside that torch bear for a while um, and ended up running to the west end of, of the city uh, before, oh. before that torch bear got back in their support vehicle and I had a long walk back to school. But that... <laughs> planted a seed that, that I wanted to do something um, a little bit bigger. And then I learned this, the story of Terry Fox. Um, I was a little bit too young to, to remember his, his actual marathon of hope uh, as he was doing that. But obviously like every Canadian learned his story and that inspired me as well. So sort of this, this lifelong dream to want to run across the country and then paired that with wanting to do it for a cause. Um, my background was in the field of outdoor and environmental education. And there was some growing research around the amount of time that kids were spending in front of screens and so <laughs> decided to uh, incorporate and, and create a nonprofit and kicked it off by running 7,600 kilometers across the country. <laughs> What a way to kick something off, huh? Talk about a marketing campaign, right? That's right. <laughs> I love that. So let's let's pivot around here a bit because I want to get into the organ a little bit um, and talk about that because I think it's very interesting. But let's start with the running side. So we do a lot, obviously, in regards to the mental aspect of performance with athletes and lifestyle side. We know running is something that's pretty predominant with the mental health space. Um, have you ever had any, I know for you, it was a dream and, and a vision to do what you had to do, but, you know, have you found yourself engulfed in communities like that too, where you're noticing it's a big outlet for the mental side? Like, are you seeing trends, if you will, where people are getting more into it now than they were before? Like, tell us what you see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm probably... You know, I, I was more of a runner when I was younger, for sure. And, right. and you know, admittedly, like, I think I ran cross country in junior high, but I hated it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I didn't run again until university. Uh, and, and as such, just like casually, I think I entered a couple 10k races. And then, 
you know, eventually I started running uh, half marathon distances. And for a little while, I tried to get a little bit more serious about it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think serious just in, in terms of competing against myself. But mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. For, for me personally, going out for a run was just a way to, to clear my head um, mm -hmm. and to, to sort of, yeah, just let go of things um, that was happening in day-to-day -day life. I think what I'm seeing is, you know, I would say, yeah, absolutely. There's still lots of people I know who are runners, uh, especially living in the Rocky Mountains now. I, you know, I think trail running mm -hmm. sort of goes hand in hand with just connecting with nature. Um, I think there's a spiritual aspect to it. I think there's a, there's a mental health aspect to it. Um, I think it's a way just to sort of remove yourself from, from, yeah, the, the tough stuff in your day to day. Um, but I, I think I would also need to make the point that it's, it's probably in my world, it's not just running. I mean, I think just getting outside mm -hmm. in general, whether it's going for a walk or going for a bike ride or whatever mm -hmm. it is. I mean, I, I think it's, um, just sort of tearing yourself away from the phone for a little while, leaving it at home and, and going outside for w whatever it is you choose to do. You know, research is just showing how many benefits that has for, for our physical, mental, and emotional health. Absolutely. And I love what you said there. There's a spiritual aspect. Um, tell our listeners a bit about that because I think, I think that's something that's very, very overlooked in a side of, I wouldn't even call it just performance, but like day-to-day -day stuff as well. Like, you know, we often just associate it to religion only when really it's not. It's, it's bigger than that. Um, tell us about the spiritual side. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's just, it's sort of, you know, when you're out running, there's, there's this sense that, I mean, you can, you can sort of live in your head during a run. Uh, for me, it's two ways. You can live in your head during a run and you can, you know, if something's going on in life, you can sort of, a run can help work that out you can you can mm -hmm. spend that time uh thinking about whatever issue is at hand i think there's a flip side to that which is just running especially trail running maybe because you're so focused on what's at your feet um where you can just let go and and mm -hmm. not sort of worry about um anything that's going on in your head but i think the spiritual aspect for me especially when you're able to run uh, somewhere that's maybe a little bit removed from concrete, from buildings, mm -hmm. uh, and you can make that connection with nature. I think you start to have a sense that, you know, there's the world is is um, a more what's the best way of putting this? Like there's more to life than just what's going mm -hmm. on in your own life, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, yeah, there's just bigger things at play than, than, you know, whatever issue you might be dealing with at a, at a given moment. And I think that perspective is important. I mean, I think for me, that's, that's the spiritual part. I mean, there's just, what's the quote? It's, um, you know, I think we're in an age where science mm -hmm. is really at the forefront. Yeah. Uh, but but I think there's a quote that's some something along the lines of you know science is but a small island in this vast ocean of mystery, um, and I, I think there's something to that that uh, 
that has that spiritual aspect in terms of, you know, just, just trying to connect with this earth we, we live on, um, and, and sort of let go of, of some of those day-to-day things that we get worked up about. So um, it, this is totally relatable to me because I know exactly what you're saying in a sense, even my own, you know, training I do personally now where yes, a lot of it. So it's, it's interesting. Like running's always been something that's huge for me, obviously become coming from a soccer background. Um, it's almost like one of the most natural things for a soccer player to continue is running, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, for me, what interesting about that is I, I totally get it because during the week the way that I've programmed my training and have my training in a sense where it's laid out is that the running scenes are in very you know industrial places right it's like your typical sidewalk big buildings um, hustle and bustle and it's funny because the tempo of those runs for me during the week I'm a guy that likes to work out super early in the morning that's just my thing or train early in the morning, I should say. And, you know, for me, it fits the narrative of what I'm doing for the day, Monday to Friday, right? Like those days of running for me, it's business. I actually, funny enough, I've tried removing running from my training in certain aspects of it um, in certain parts of the year. And I found I had to immediately add it right back in because I get some of my best ideas when I'm going on the run, which is kind of like what you're talking about, where I guess you could even say it's a bit of a meditative side, a thought process side of it where you're able to work through things, right? You have quiet time. You're not with your phone and such, but then it's funny because on the weekends, I totally get the spiritual side. Like I, I, I totally get that where I take a completely different trail. It's a longer run. It's a slower pace. It's not as intense, but it's definitely a longer distance. And it's all surrounded by trees. There's valleys, there's different, you know, peaks that I hit as well. And it's more so there's no music on those runs. There's no phone that even comes with me to potentially, if there is an emergency call for some reason, some crazy individual has a a reason to call somebody at 5.30 a.m. But, you know, there's, it's just you and whatever's in front of you. Yeah, I mean, I I think I was just going to say, like, I, I like what you're saying. I think there's a time and place for both. I mean, I think, you know, I running across the country sort of trying to, convince yourself to run 40 to 50 kilometers day in and day out um you know it became a job and so i think there is sort of this this business approach to to some of that you know whether it's something like that or or whether it's training that athletes are going through i mean i think there's days where you you just have to put your head down and and treat it as sort of hey this is my job uh, this is what I need to do. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely sort of in terms of what you're saying on weekends or, or just finding moments where mm-hmm. you forget about the metrics, you forget about wearing the watch, you forget about, you know, timing your intervals or, or whatever you're doing. I think, you know, if you can sort of head out without any devices on you, um, I, I think you begin to tap in a little bit more to that spiritual aspect that meditative aspect of of just your own journey um and i think it just it's sort of yeah i think those are the moments where it just helps you sort of be at peace with with yourself and and maybe at peace with what's going on around you absolutely and it's it's interesting because it's like you know 
I've noticed with running, there's so many different like moods you can be in kind of like with lifting too. Right. But like, for me, it's just more predominant in that sense. And I think it's very interesting to look at it because I don't think enough people appreciate running for that part of it. And it's something that's different for everybody. Right. Like I'll never forget when I was a part of a panel and I was able to speak with a running crew and it was just, I was blown away. My fiance and I were, we were there and she was there obviously with me. And, you know, we were talking after and it's like, it was just a different feel of community because it's kind of like this, it's an artistic thing more than it is just a performance thing for a lot of people. Right. And I love that because it's, it's just cool to see. So let's pivot into this then. Um, you ran across the country. Tell us about the training for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no real guidebook. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not the shining example, Matt, of, of someone who, you know, I, again, I, I sort of, I always enjoyed running, uh, yep. but I, I never sort of fully bought into um, the kind of training that, that one would, would sort of uh, run into or encounter these days. I mean, there's so much research, there's so much input, there's so many devices that, that sort of track and, and give you feedback on what you're doing. And there, you know, you could, I think the part of the problem is that there's so many different opinions on how you should train. Um, yes. You know, for me, it's always been, and I don't want this to sound like a cop out, but it's always been a little bit intuitive. So I'm, I mean, I had that base of running. I had run for years and years, um, you know, basically a year before trying to run across the country. I started slowly upping my distance. Uh, that would include trying to run sort of twice a day. And, and to be honest, I, my training got up to maybe being comfortable with running uh you know 20 to 25 kilometers per wow. day for like a you know for three to four consecutive days but really wow. it wasn't until I actually started running across the country that that you put your body through that and <laughs> um you know there wasn't I had an IT band injury sort of within my first two to three weeks and I think obviously just from you know even though I had trained for a year trying to up that distance um was was a different matter and and uh yeah i i think it's but you know i think what i learned over the course of nine months and and getting to a point where you know i think my sort of my max i think i ran 17 days in a row without a day off um, wow and and sort of averaging somewhere between 35 and, and 50 kilometers and i think it's you know, the body's way more resilient than we give it credit for. Um, but you have to still listen to your body. And I, I, I think that's, you know, sometimes we follow these, these training schedules, these regiments that are laid out for us. Um, and, and we're so committed to, to that, that we don't always sort of just listen to our, our body, feel what our body is, is telling us. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, again, I'm probably not the right person to ask for <laughs> some of the specifics, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I would say that it's, um, you know, whenever I talk, chat with students and I'm sure, 
you know, this is probably a different conversation entirely, but, you know, run, running across the country for me, I think people ask how difficult it was physically. And I always say, you know, it was probably once your body adjusted, it was 30% of it was physical and 70% of it was mental. I mean, the tough part of the journey was waking up morning in, morning out and convincing <laughs> yourself to run, a, you know, a marathon distance. So I literally just took a note on that, that I wanted to ask about it next. I want you to teach us about two things. Um, let's first talk about the nerves probably leading up to this a little bit, because even though you weren't getting timed or whatever, I'm sure it was beyond nerve wracking to really understand the however many weeks ahead of you that you had to run across the country, correct? Yeah, it was overwhelming. I mean, I think... Yeah you know, leading up to it, there's a sense of anticipation for it as there would be for any race. Sure. Um, but I think, you know, I think the barrier that I ran into very quickly is, you know, you, you're two days in, I was two days in or three days in, or even three, four weeks in uh, of dipping my toe into the Atlantic ocean and, and running across Newfoundland in January. And, <laughs> you know, and you realize like oh my god this is this is a big country like I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this um and so it really is you know it, it's a cliche but I think it just this notion of one day at a time but you really have to live that you have to commit to it mentally um yeah in those first few weeks I got overwhelmed thinking about how far it was to the west coast um, and how many marathons I still had to do and how many days of running I still had to do. And it was really training sort of my emotional state to, to wake up and say, just deal with today, just put in the work today uh, and don't worry about tomorrow. So easier said than done, um, but, but that was sort of the approach over the course of nine months. And, you know, it's funny you say that because if there is one theory that we have seen come true on an, on an application side with a lot of the high performers we work with, it is the simple theory of one day at a time. It is simple in theory. It is excruciatingly tough in practice That's because right. I think people don't realize, man, that, you know, there's all these live in the moment people that talk out there. And that's great. It's a, it's again, it's an outstanding topic and theory of interest, but until you're actually thrown in the fire, that's hard. Like people always ask us, you know, how do we create, for example, um, top goal scores in leagues or consistently high achieving um, salespeople or whatever it might be. And to be completely straight with you, Colin, the hardest thing we have to do is slow people down to focus on one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think people realize the amount of progress that can happen in a day. And I don't think we've been wired the right ways based on our past experiences to understand that a paradigm of success is truly based upon the day. Like you got to think about it in the most gruesome ways, if you will, you could walk out of your house tomorrow and have a, a, a life altering or, you know, life ending event happen to you without you even knowing about it. Right. And Everybody talks about this one day at a time until you have to run across the country, I'm assuming, right? Where then it's in full effect and it's something that forces you to do that. So let, let's talk about this. And how did, how did you get up every single day 
and keep pushing yourself to run when I'm sure your body was screaming at you to stop? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, it's, it's a tough question to answer. I mean, I, I think, and th there's not just one answer. I mean, I, I think there's, you know, you really have no choice. I mean, I had a friend who committed for the first five months of this journey to help drive the support vehicle. And, and wow. she, you know, you, you can't just pause or you can't just, I, this is becomes your job. Um, I think that was yeah. coupled with the fact that it was a lifelong dream. So even though I knew this was going to be hard work and, and, you know, some things are hard for a reason um, and, and not easily achievable. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that I had going for me was that I, you know, this was sort of in my mid thirties at the time when I did this. And part of it was just, you know, we live in a culture now where I think working involves sitting in front of a computer or sitting at a desk most of the day. Um, and I think I tried to keep in mind that, that my day, I got to be outside for five to seven hours every day uh, and not sort of sitting in front of a computer. So I, I realize that not everyone has that. And granted, that was just for nine months. But I think sure. that those are some of the things that drove me. I mean, I think just the ability to you know, be outside to get that fresh air, knowing that I was getting that physical activity. I mean, for sure, some days I woke up, it sucked when it was cold or crappy weather or whatever um, to, to sort of, you know, put on running clothes that hadn't been washed in two weeks and, and <laughs> tie, tie up the laces. But, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think once I got through Newfoundland, and Newfoundland took five weeks to, to run through. Wow. Um, I think once I hit sort of, you know, the other Eastern provinces, I, I sort of had this sense of let's just keep doing this and, and try to find, you know, yes, it's a job, but, but there were moments where, you know, I think that's where to, to bring it in. I mean, I went, went to, into 80 schools while mm -hmm. I did this. And I think that was what fueled me as well. So I think what really sort of helped me wake up every day and get through this was the students that I chatted with across the country. Um, they were, they definitely inspired me probably more so than I inspired them. Amazing. And this is, this is what we talk about a lot with the people, you know, we work with. It's that I think people have to, people try to boil this purpose thing down to one why, right? Like, and I get it, but I think you have to look at it as life as a whole and not just one why, because it sounds like there were multiple things here. There was a personal purpose for you. There was a social one. There was, of course, you know, a professional one. Then there's ones on spiritual sides. Then there's one on your own journey. And if you can understand those purposes and constantly be able to use them at will, it's an extremely powerful thing because now you're not just having an arsenal of one or two things. You've got a lot of different facets with it. And I think that's beyond important for athletes to understand or high performers in general is that it's not just about the professional life, which is what we often get lost in. And it's about life in general, which has so many different heads to it that again, it's for a whole other conversation there. So tell us about it, man. Like how, obviously there were physical injuries along the way, how was that something you dealt with so quick? Did you have a team with you? Was it, you know, self-treated, a mixture of both? Like, teach us. 
Yeah, it was really self-treated. It was, uh, I had never, in, in all my years of running, I had never sort of experienced any issues with my IT band. In fact, I don't even know, I don't think I knew what my IT band was. <laughs> and so, you know, after two and a half weeks in of running through Newfoundland, definitely sort of pain on the sides of my knees, wasn't exactly sure what it was. You know, went to went to a massage therapist, went to physio, finally got a foam roller, didn't know what a foam roller was. And I know this is embarrassing <laughs> to say as like someone who's running across the country. I just, you know, I was I hadn't encountered these types of injuries before. Um, and so it learned it was self-taught of, you know, learning to roll out on a foam roller in the in the support vehicle every night. Um, bringing myself to tears with, I mean, I've never experienced pain like that. Um, wow. And sorry, where was the pain there? Like on your IT, like right across your IT band? Yeah, right across the IT band. And, and then it manifested itself just sort of, you know, it was fine to walk, but that running motion. So that just sort yeah. of that, that pounding um, really sort of manifested itself in, in pain at the side of the knees. So yeah, I mean, I, I think, thankfully, again, you sort of, we live in a culture where we want to, you know, I think it's going back to what I said before, but, mm -hmm. you know, we live in a culture where we rely on sort of others and, and, and professionals specifically to figure out what's wrong with our bodies. Um, and I think there's absolutely a, a need for that, uh, a time and a place for that. But I think often we, we don't give ourselves the credit we should give ourselves to figure out our own bodies um and and doctors don't always have the answer mm -hmm. for a specific body so I, I i think it's really i learned that lesson of just relying on my own intuition now that's not to say it and you know you still went like i still went to to physiotherapists uh sure. when the it bands were acting up um but more or less i figured it out on my own um, and, and I think doctors can just help sort of assess, I mean, I'm speaking really broadly here. I was very grateful not to have more significant injuries along, along the way on those nine months. Um, so I, I'm definitely, I want to be careful here. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not a place for, totally. for sort of specialized treatment treatment. Of course there is, but I, I think me, mainly just the point is the ability to, really listen and assess your own body um and and do that more than just simply relying on others to do that for you absolutely it's it's about learning from the professionals you go to right it should never be a dependent type of mentality um you should always be if you are able to see these people frequently it should be something that you obviously value and something that you know is is a part of what you're doing and it's consistent with what you're doing but I get it. I totally get it. For sure. And I think it ties into, you know, I was just, I've, I've just finished a book called um, Think Again, and it's by Adam Grant. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just, in the context of this conversation, I was thinking about, the book talks about sort of work culture. And mm -hmm. when you talked about professional development, I think even performance-based culture or athlete sort of culture, there is sort of what drives people a lot is performance-based results and so you yep. you create well yeah you create that performance culture or that that performance-based culture 
Um, and this book really talks about sort of the ability uh, to rethink and unlearn. And mm -hmm. it talks about sort of businesses and organizations that, that you know, when it is that performance-based culture, you're fearful of making mistakes. But if you can create a learning culture, there's a little bit more freedom to experiment. Um, and I guess I wondered somewhere in there whether there's any sort of parallels to to the world of athletes and and trying to not always be performance driven but taking the process of what you're doing and creating that learning culture so that you're not hellbent on on doing some sort of training in one particular way and maybe seeing that you know maybe rethinking that and seeing that there's other ways of, of doing that does that make any sense it make man <laughs> you're hitting the nail on that that is literally what we do because i'll tell you like when we have a lot of the athletes that we do that come to us we literally need to teach them how to re-establish the paradigm of what they consider to be success because mm -hmm. you're constantly you're bang on you're in this culture that teaches you to own to, to make you know the one thing you got to do is perform true however people don't understand what it means to perform, right? People don't realize that, like, especially with athletes, man, everybody wants to be this obsessive compulsive athlete for some reason. I don't know why it's been made out to be this sexy thing where it's like, you've all, the only thing that's gotta be on your mind is sport. Well, if anybody's ever tried that, they'll realize there's a heavily researched back thing called burnout that happens. Right. And, you know, if you look at some of the most successful athletes in the world, like, I'm talking, I'm not just talking rings on their finger. I mean, longevity-based athletes who've been able to do this year and year over and over again. My, my, you know, pedestal athlete, if you will, is always going to be Tom Brady because of his age and his accomplishments. If you yeah. look at him though, and you look at how this man lives life, you know, anybody who hasn't checked it out, this is probably the hundredth time I've said this, but you have to check out Tom versus time on Facebook. The way he treats his craft is phenomenal. He goes in at 7 a.m., does his work, and he gets out. And when he's done, he's done. Yeah. And it's like, now there's a paradigm of being a father that I must be, and a husband, and a good uncle, and a good spouse. Like, the, uh, people don't look at life enough when they consider performance. And it's fun and cool and getting my job done to send an email at 7 p.m. when my day ended at 4. No, it's not. You're missing out on so much. And that's I, I would love to get your thought on this, Colin, because you were somebody that was able to run across the country with it. But when you're in this mentality, like I think where COVID shook so many people as we're on our way out, fingers crossed, of this thing, is that it forced people actually to get out of that high performance culture, especially in North America, right? Where I've heard two ends of the story where some people have started working more and those who used to work extreme amounts are starting to work less. But in both scenarios, people are losing their identity. It's interesting how that happens. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think, yeah, you touch on so many good points there. It's hard to, it's hard to <laughs> unpack a lot of it. I mean, I, I think in my world that, you know, the, the context that I've seen COVID affect people the most is just that ability to, or that desire to want to get outside. I mean, I think we're seeing yeah. bikes that have been sold out two years in a row. Um, mm -hmm. There's been a huge uptick in 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 running and and people just sort of wanting to spend more time outside and I mean I know that's 
sort of a little bit more broader than than this conversation in terms of totally you know uh athletes and and sort of sport performance but i i think that's at the core of it i mean i agree with you i mean i think of you know you mentioned tom brady i think of um you know what are the latest examples like i think of someone like joe thornton maybe it's yeah maybe the uh, relevant <laughs> totally mean, man admittedly i'm a winnipeg jets fan but um <laughs> you know you just look at someone like joe thornton and yes he puts the work in on a daily basis to to be able to stay at an elite level in the nhl but any interview you hear him in uh, you know there's a love for the game uh yep. And that, you know, I think, again, in my world, it comes down to, you know, running across the country. Yeah, it took a work ethic. Uh, it, it took discipline. It took perseverance. But there was also just simply an enjoyment of spending time outside. And I think that that was sort of that formed the basis of of everything else. And I think, again, you're bang on it. If if it's only performance driven, um, you are going to burn out quickly. I think you've, you've got to find sort of that love for what you do. And in my world, I think that love means trying to do some of that as outside as much as possible. Absolutely. Cause I, I want to say one thing to wrap that up and then I want to get into uh, taking outside. Cause I think that's awesome to hear about too, but it's funny you say this because even on game days, you know, I can't believe how many athletes, for example, are saying they love their sport, but are super stressed out on game day. If you love your sport, why aren't you playing it on game day to love your sport? The hard work. I think what people don't realize, man, and it's funny because I've seen this happen a lot. People don't realize how much like that quote, sweat the detail, hardcore, da, da, da. that part of it has to be practiced during the week on game day. It should be something where you just absolutely love it. And I know you're not always going to love it. I know there's going to be times that your body's sore. And I know as athletes, we know that you'll never be truly 100%, uh, you know, midway through a season. But the thing is, what's interesting about that is I think that culture rips away everything to do with what's really at the core of high performances. And that's fulfillment, right? It's supposed to be enjoyable because if it's enjoyable, you're going to work more at it, which means you're going to build more confidence, which means you're going to perform better. And it's really that simple. And the moment that that joy leaves is where things start to get very, very dangerous for athletes, high performers, or anybody of the like. And that's, that's the last thing I want to ask about the run part. Did you notice that enjoyment started to drop off at any point of it? Uh, it kind of came and went in waves. I mean, I, I think there were definitely moments where, you know, there was a moment in sort of uh just north of toronto where where my friend who had been driving the sport vehicle for five months had to go back to nova scotia and and it was a bit unexpected and so i was on my own didn't have anyone else to help me uh, i had a dog with me uh and so basically it meant you know running 40 to 50 kilometers through northern ontario every day but then sticking up my thumb and hitchhiking back to the sport vehicle shuttling it forward and doing it again the next day um, oh and so God. there were, you know, there were days where you're, you're running and yeah, you, you don't want to be like, you just, but again, it was, it's the mental side. I think it, it, mm -hmm. if I had a tough day mentally, uh, then that translated into having a tough day running wise. Um, yeah. and, but through that, 
Yeah, I mean, there were parts where there were parts through Northern Ontario. I mean, you know, if you've ever sort of driven along Lake Superior, it's one of the more beautiful parts of this country, in my opinion. And, and you know, I think I found sort of enjoyment in just sort of being able to run run along that open water um, day in and day out through Northern Ontario. So although it was it was tough and there were days where I didn't want to do it. Um, I think once I got out there and started and, and maybe that's consistent too with sort of that lead up to not wanting your day to start, not wanting to put the work in, um, you know, but once you're in it, you, you hopefully find enjoyment or aspects of it that you enjoy. And, and that's what drives you to sort of complete the workout or in my case, complete, you know, complete the day of, running 40, 40, 50 kilometers. Absolutely. So then I've got to know this. You ran for how, how long did it take you again? Nine months, you said? Yeah, 281 days total. Okay. So were there any debriefing, like getting back into society things you had to deal with? Because I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize or give credit to sometimes. Like I'm not saying this was you know, like you went on, let's say a tour or something out in the Middle East with war or something like that, but identity wise, right? Like you, you said it, your job became running. How did you reintroduce yourself into a day-to-day kind of thing? Like, was there any transition there that kind of played with you a bit? Oh yeah, it was, it was definitely a tough transition. I mean, you hear this from athletes all the time uh, in terms of, you know, training for years for the Olympics and then going to the Olympics and then, yeah. Achiever syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. What's next? So definitely I, I was a lost soul. I sort of, I didn't go back to Ontario. I decided to, to stay out in Victoria. Um, and you know, I was, I'd started a master's degree, put it on hold while I ran across the country. Uh, and in theory, I was supposed to finish that, um, after the run, but yeah, I would say for a good three, four, five months after I finished that run, I just sort of lost a sense of who I was. I mean, every, every day running, I had that sense of purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, both both sort of tangibly in terms of making it from point A to point B every day, but then sort of that bigger cause of, you know, what I was trying to do with the organization and all the students I was chatting with um, and the connections I was making with schools and students and teachers across the country. But yeah, once that was done and it was just me, I was... I was a lost soul for sure. I uh, I struggled to to sort of find my way for for several months after that. Interesting. Um, this is something I don't feel enough high performers or people in general talk about, and I feel like sometimes this process, albeit very natural, coming back to this high performance culture, is something that's become negative because of it right? Like it's very, you got to think you're running across the country for nine months, right? 281 days. And then you would almost come to think that it's a natural process to then take some time after to reflect on that and understand what's next for yourself. And I feel like being in this high performance, go, 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 go culture. A lot of the times, it takes away the true beauty of that side of things to reflect on it and understand what's coming next. Because, you know, I've got a lot of family still in Italy and 
it's amazing because I was blown away when I used to play soccer there briefly at how easy it was for athletes over there to transition out of the sport and finish what they had to do and just drop the sport almost cold turkey. And when I asked my cousin about it, because he was one that played in a very high-end youth system over there that it does feed a lot of the professional teams in the first division now. I said, Gianluca, like, how did you do it? And he said, he looked at me and it was almost like it was just an understanding part of life. And he said, Matt, this is how life is, right? You decide one day that you don't want to do something, then you take the time to figure out what's going on next. But if you look at the culture of a country, for example, like Italy, it's not as, quote, go, 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 obviously, as it is here. And if you yeah. look at it, man, and you understand, a lot of people take the time to understand that, I think that's what allows them to have a little bit more of a seamless transition process to get out of that, you know, achievers mentality and into a different purpose in life. And if you look at some of the lifestyles in Europe, they have some of the longest living people on the planet. It's a very, very, very interesting topic that I don't think enough people really look into because it should be a natural thing to try and find out what you got to do next when you decide to shift your career, right? For sure. I think in North America, there's there's definitely, I mean, this is a whole nother conversation, but I think <laughs> we, we definitely have a skewed perspective on on what success means um, and what success constitutes. And And I think... Yeah, I mean, I think in North America, it's it's definitely performance driven, um, and success is always is also sort of, you know, it feels almost cliche to say, but it's it's dictated by, you know, what what we have or what we don't have, um, yep. and I think, yeah, I, I think in in some other cultures, there's an ability to, you know, see that bigger picture a little bit more clearly maybe not but it's you know sense of family sense of community um i don't think sometimes we we place enough value on that here you know whether it's in canada or in the u.s um it it just it feels like there's lots of these odd tangibles that are attached with being or deemed successful uh and it's uh yeah i think the world would could be a better place if if that sort of that definition of success was broadened a little bit to to include you know hey you know hanging out with family hanging out with your your grandpa or your grandma or your niece mm-hmm. or your nephew has just as much value as you know coming first or or second or making podium or or whatever so yeah and you know what? It's it's funny because I think the the t- I, I my personal hypothesis is I always think hard work will be the variable of success. Don't get me wrong. I think we're about to see a very interesting maybe shift or study in the next I don't know five plus years where there's going to be more research that comes out on people who are more experienced in different areas of life. I'm not talking like you went and worked for a corporate giant for 20 years. I mean, you do do the things like you just mentioned, like going with grandma and grandpa and then going out with friends and then understanding this and exploring that. I think this whole mentality behind just work alone is going to be completely blown up by the people who have found different experiences throughout different areas of life. And I think what we don't realize is that everybody has a point of burnout And more importantly, though, 
I'm not talking like burning out from working too hard because I actually personally believe people think a lot of the time they're working a lot harder than they actually are to be straight with you. I do think though, that those ones that are successful that put their head down and they work like what they have to do also have an amazing, not balance, but perception on life where they value going to see grandparents, for example, there's value in them going out with friends and looking and seeing different things. There's value in them. Hey man, there's, there's so much research that's out there right now. We just finished looking at it to be frank, that shows people who are able to take more regulated vacations throughout the year are actually more successful in the workspace. And it's not directly tied into just, you know, taking time off. It's actually tied into these people going out there, seeing new things and bringing it back to what they're doing and creating more solutions for people. Right. And it's like, it's such a different conversation than what we're brought up to. Like I fell into that culture of, you know, wake up at 4am and work until 8pm. And it's like, I used to do that at one point in my life. Now I genuinely enjoy getting up early because that's how I'm accustomed to it. But there's no more working until I sleep. Now there's so much more purpose in life. And if I'll be frank with our business, it's allowed us to have more conversations with different people, getting us further ahead, moving us and bringing us more revenue. Like it all adds up. But I think we're so segmented and looking at life in silo instead of really understanding that it all feeds into one another. Like you can't expect yourself to be a super high performer, but you're really out of shape. It just doesn't like, where does that correlate anywhere in life? Right. So it's all a big, big picture with that, but let's, let's wrap this up. So tell us about the organization. Um, You started an amazing non-for-profit. Teach us about it. Yeah, I mean, really at the core, and then I try to outline this in, you know, the book really tries to tell the story of, of running across the country, but mm-hmm. I think it also tries to focus in on three things. One, one, and these three things are sort of what the nonprofit tries to do. One is, you know, yes, technology is a part of our everyday lives. That's fine. And, and, and there's lots of amazing things about the technology. If you look at the research, though, um, we're just spending way too much time in front of screens. Uh, and particularly these days, you can almost pinpoint that to we're spending so much time on our phones. Uh, I think the average iPhone user spends four to five hours looking at their phone every day. So if you translate wow. that into the course of an adult life, that's 10 to 11 years of your adult life where you're simply just staring at your phone. I, it, it blows my, my mind a little bit. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, it's, yeah, there's a focus in the world that I'm in on that, that issue of screen time with kids. But, you know, I think for, for your audience and, and, you know, our audience to a degree as well, it comes to it comes down to adults being role models. Um, you yeah, know, kids yeah. kids follow what we do, and I think we're we adults can be horrible role models at times when it comes to how much time we spend on our phones. Um, and so that's part of the mandate of what Taming Outside is trying to do is just trying to find a little bit more balance. Not trying to pit one against the other. It's just trying to say, listen, there's a there's a massive imbalance right now with the amount of time that we spend in front of screens compared to the amount of time that we spend outside. Let's try to, let's try to find a little bit better of a balance and research shows that if we do that, if we put our phones down and we spend a little bit more time outside, regardless of what we're doing, you know, 
it improves again our physical our mental our emotional health um it, Timmy outside has really sort of found that audience within schools i mean again visited 80 schools and 20,000 students across the country during the run and that part of the organization has grown um you know on the last day of the run we sort of called it take me outside day and we wanted schools the schools that i had visited to to um to celebrate the end of the run but also to raise awareness about spending more time outside and so that initiative has grown and now take me outside day um, sees you know over 200,000 students and teachers across the country participate again raising awareness for spending more time outside but the work that we've really started doing in the last couple of years is is trying to trying to advocate for students learning um being able to happen outside of four walls and a desk you know i think we all have that vision of of what sort of we grew up with in terms of going to school and it is what it is i mean it, it's you know we're still good human beings we still turned out okay but the research is showing that experiential learning um, and learning outside can be really beneficial uh, in that development of a, of a student in their younger years. And so the work that we're trying to focus on is working with teachers and education systems to have that learning happen uh, a little bit less in front of a computer sitting at a desk at school and a little bit more out in the schoolyard um, experientially where you know, kids can get hands-on with science, with math, with English. Um, and the last thing, you know, that we're trying to do is just, and I try to sort of touch on this in the book, is just, you know, asking that question of what it means to be Canadian. And I think sometimes we come up with these cliches, you know, we're in a time where we're sort of, you know, I think at least for me, what I grew up with uh, in terms of what it means to be Canadian uh, it was a very like in retrospect a very sort of stereotypical narrow view and I think mm -hmm. the you know we're learning I think that's we're learning and we're unlearning and I think when we look at sort of indigenous history in this country mm -hmm. uh, and some of some of the shortcomings that that have happened um, and the pain that has been caused I think looking at what it means to be Canadian is an important question to ask. And I think, you know, I think I try to sort of make the argument that I think the one thing that that binds us, that unites us together as Canadians, regardless of whether, you know, you do have an Indigenous history and, mm -hmm. you know, your, your family has lived on this land for, for thousands of years, or whether you're a new Canadian and you've only lived in this country for, you know, three or four months. I think the one mm -hmm. thing that unites us is this land that we live on. And I, you know, I think we happen to live in one of the best countries in the world in terms of that landscape. Um, and even if you live in the city, I mean, where, whatever city you live in across the country, there are still amazing green spaces that exist within those cities. And, and I think, you know, if you have the ability to get beyond that city sometimes, you know, we have this vast expanse of national provincial parks um waterways rivers lakes uh we're just really fortunate to live in the country we live in and i think that's one thing that can sort of help define us as who who we are as canadians i love that um i want to pick one part of that and really get into it 
the experiential learning. Um, is it not, I believe it's Finland or who that leads the education pathway right now? Is it Finland? Yeah, there's some, I mean, research is always shifting, but certainly there are some Scandinavian countries, including Finland, okay. that, that sort of really have uh, adopted this, this outdoor learning for students and, and seeing the benefits of it coming through, whether it's with marks, whether it's with, you know, what these people do when they become adults um, and work ethic, et cetera. But, but yeah, I think there's, um, and it's growing in, in, in North America slowly, a little bit more slowly, but yeah, Finland is an example of a country that has really adopted this idea of kids learning experientially outside of the classroom. And it's crazy, right? Like we're talking like way higher comparable GPAs, if you will. Um, and it's something it's, isn't it like they're, someone's going to have to fact check me, whoever's listening to it, but it's something like they go to school for about four hours a day or something like that. There's no homework. And the whole point of it is to show them when you're there, you're working, you're doing your thing. And then they need that free time at home to go experience what they're doing. And it's having this, it's kind of like strength training, right? For anybody that's really big on it, where you're able to lift the weights. And then if you combine it with a plyometric movement, you're now teaching your body how to transfer what you're teaching it with the strength into a performance aspect of it. You know, I'm making that very simple, obviously, but it's the same thing with this whole side on experiential learning, right? Where I think they've taken that, that, that framework or structure and it's paying off like crazy with the people coming through their educational system. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it, the similarities actually between sort of what we've been talking about over the last little bit, like the education system in North America is also very performance driven uh, yeah. and and almost to a detriment in, in certain respects. I mean, I, I think, you know, some of those Scandinavian countries, it's a little bit more holistic. Um, yeah. and, and so you you see that sense of the bigger picture of of who that human being is and what they can be as an individual. Um, whereas it feels like in North America, um, you know, that education system is very performance driven. You, you, go to, you go to school to be able to get into a good university. You go to a good university to be able to make, you know, X amount of dollars uh, once you graduate. Um, again, it revolves around that whole notion of how we define success. Um, but yeah, the education system, I think, you know, it, it's when kids learn experientially, I mean, you know, outdoor education or outdoor learning, that research shows that that kids actually do better in school. Uh, so their grades are better. They have better self-esteem, better self-confidence, yep. less anxiety, less depression. Um, there are, you know, the, the research is still emerging, but there's a significant sort of body of research over the last 15, 20 years that helps sort of back up, um, you know, kids learning outside. And I think, you know, again, I know we live in a techno technological age uh, and, and there's so many good things about that, but we sort of blindly put these laptops in front of students thinking that this was the way that students should learn. And again, I, I want to be careful. I'm not saying that there isn't a time and a place for students to learn sure. in front of a computer. Absolutely, there is. Um, but but again, it's balanced. So, you know, if it was, it feels like 
the work that Tame Side is trying to do as an organization is almost, you know, we're constantly, it's an uphill battle to justify and advocate for kids learning outside. If it was as easy as, as it has been with, you know, a laptop um, being in, put in front of every kid to learn, we'd be in a good place right now for outdoor and, and environmental education. So that's not the case, but that's the work we're, we're focused on doing. Man, I love that because we've almost, this is the last thought I have on it and then we'll wrap up, but we're at a point where we now clad, sorry, categorize experiential learning as quote application. When in reality, that's where the quote application is going to be taking place the most is outside of the classroom, right? Like, man, I've never taken a sales course in my life. And that's the business I'm obviously part of running a business is sales. I did though have to try and convince somebody walking by when I was younger that a cup of homemade lemonade, honest to God, or homemade Kool-Aid it was, my neighbor and I decided to sell on a Fisher Price picnic table outside of my house. We had to convince someone that they deserved and should be paying us five to 25 cents per cup of Kool-Aid. And it's like, that alone, man, taught me way more about rejection, about um, convincing people, like persuasion. And I know it's a young age, but man, you learn as a child, you learn to take this stuff in and understand how to, to figure it out. Like, I can still remember how I had to figure my way out of someone who said, no, I, I don't want, you know, this little cup here of Kool-Aid. And it's like, well, are you sure it's a really hot day out? And it's like, that taught me persistence. Right. right. It's these little things, man, that are so crucial that I love how you phrase it too. It's not that you're saying it, there's not a time and a place. There is. But sometimes it's like we're forgetting the fact that a lot of this has to do uh, has to do with communication and and people skills and so on that we obviously are often sorry say that they're quote intangible when really they're probably the most tangible things out there. We've just decided to give them an intangible category. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, anyways, Colin, this was outstanding. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about your story and your organization? Uh, the website is takemeoutside.ca and you can find most info there. You can be in touch with us there. Uh, you can see some of the projects and initiatives that we're doing with schools there and, and, um, and yeah, it's uh, appreciate your time today, Matt. And, and, having this conversation absolutely colin so take me outside.ca you guys got to check it out for anything else that you guys need please your resilience needs visit www.mullatm.com and we will hook you up and take care of it colin have an outstanding day my friend thank you so much for taking the time with us you too thanks so much matt